Today on the To Win the Mini podcast, we have Dr. Corey Barnes. Dr. Barnes is Associate Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew. He's also the Dean of Doctoral Studies and Distance Learning here at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also just a generally good dude, good husband, good father, and a good guy. Corey, good to have you, bro. Yeah, man. Thanks. So I'm, I'm glad you think I'm a good guy. <laughs> yeah, we don't have any bad guys on here, man. You so know, what you're saying is guys. there's not there's nothing special about being introduced <laughs> no, as a good guy on the, very, the Win the Mini podcast. Very special. Well, nothing yeah. nothing special in the sense of our guests. Gotcha. We have only good guys on here. There we go. But it's a limited number of good that, guys. That you helps, know? man. That helps. So <laughs> You are one of our first. I'm trying to think if we have a repeat. You might be our first repeat. Hey, man. That's guests. cool. That's uh, cool. Well, thanks so much for having me back. I, I had a blast last time, man. Well, I'm glad you're here. We are, of course, moving towards the Christmas season. Uh, as we move towards that season, as I just said to you, though, in, in preparation for this, we want to talk about some stuff. We need your help uh, in thinking about Jesus as the Messiah. Obviously, we're going to talk about that. Well, we should talk about that a lot at Christmas time, that Jesus is the Messiah. But we want to look sort of backwards in this, right? And we need your help to do that. Uh, so we talk about Jesus as the Messiah, that he has fulfilled these Old Testament expectations, that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament in, in totality, but also these specific parts of the Old Testament. So help us in, in looking backwards uh, into this, this historical arc that we have in the Old Testament. Uh, we're historically backward facing in our perspective. But we want to go back and look at those who were forward-facing uh, in their perspective towards the Messiah. So in the Old Testament, for the Old Testament community, or I'm from Mississippi, the Old Testament folks, what were their expectations for the Messiah? Yeah, man, it's a, it's a great question. Let's frame it in this way, right? Like, let's just think about it this way. Let's suppose just average Israelite kid mm -hmm. is uh, watching these travelers come in um, on the road past his hometown. He doesn't know it, but these are the Magi, right? They're coming in. What does that kid think about the Messiah? Like, what has he heard his mom and dad say about the Messiah? What's his mm -hmm. rabbi said about the Messiah? I think it would be something like this, um, that you go all the way back to Genesis, and at the end of Genesis, there's this expectation that the line of Judah is special and that a king's going to rule over God's people. The scepter's not going to depart from Judah. That builds up in a lot of ways, but maybe the next big way we see it, you get to Deuteronomy. There's certain expectations about this king. He's going to lead the people in covenant faithfulness. He's going to lead the people to do all the things that God has said his people ought to do. You come into Joshua and Judges. One of the big things you see in Judges is we need a king really bad because some of the worst things that happened in Judges are framed within this. There was no king in the land. Each person did what seemed right in his own eyes. Uh, David comes to the throne. You see that not any king will do because Saul comes first. That's, that's not good. David comes to the throne, and there's a lot of things about David's life that we say, maybe this guy is going to lead God's people to be what they're supposed to be. A promise is made to David, 2 Samuel 7. This kid, we got to assume he would know this story, right? He would know this part. God made an amazing promise to David that while it's not going to be David from David's family line, God's going to raise up a king that's going to be king for forever and is going to lead people into God's peace, right? That what, what God's people are supposed to be. Then David's story, after that promise, like if you look at that, after that promise falls off the map. Mm -hmm. And so we make, it, it's, it's the Bible showing us very clearly, we need a king that does the good things like David, but he's got to be way better than David. Because as soon as David receives that promise, that's when his story just, just folds. 
that that I think boy also would have known these stories of these other kings who don't live up right and and so so all the kings that came after David weren't like David. The only time that maybe you thought one could have been was Josiah. Josiah did a bunch of good things, but then Josiah goes out and he dies at the Battle of Megiddo. He's defeated by the Pharaoh. So if we think about what were people waiting on in the the first century, having the, the entire Old Testament, but on the cusp of Jesus coming, what they're expecting is, but God's not done. There's a king who's going to come, who's going to fulfill all the good promises of God. And I think, man, that it's very likely they were they were looking at Psalms too, and they were they were looking at passages like that, and singing this psalm about the nations are rages, the the peoples are plotting in vain, but God's laughing at them. Why? Because He's going to set His King on Zion, His holy hill, that the the Son is going to speak and say, "The God has given all things to me." Right? The the decree the Lord has given to me is that asking me, I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. So they're saying God is going to raise up a king. He's going to enthrone him in Jerusalem. He's going to reign over the nations. And then at the end of Psalm chapter 2, they're saying, so, so actually what we should be hoping for is this guy that we take protection, we, we take refuge in him, and he's going to judge the enemies of God. I think that's big picture what they're expecting mm-hmm. about the anointed king that is to come. So you're saying that um, as they would gather in Jerusalem, they would sing these enthronement psalms. Yeah. Um, that they're quite literally thinking this king right here. So we go from David, Solomon, Rehoboam, go on through. Let, we'll just focus on the good kings, Hezekiah, Asa, yeah. Josiah. They're saying this guy, he might be the Messiah. Yeah. We'll just wait and see. Man, that's a, so a great point about that's probably how Psalms 2 was used, right? And I think they're singing it in, in what maybe we can call like messianic hopefulness. Man, we sure hope he is. Mm. There's some of the kings, you know, they, they it has to be like future looking for most of these these times though, because by the time like Manasseh, man, maybe they sing it, maybe they sing Psalm two whenever Manasseh is made king, but they know it's not Manasseh, right? Mm-hmm. But what they what they're, they're still like looking a, to, guys singing hymns in our in our churches, like, yeah, I'm yeah. singing this. I don't know if I believe it though, right? I, I, <laughs> I think it is Advent's approaching. I think the big thing that they're looking at is God. You, this whole you know, like like it, you know, we're recording this moving into Christmas, and we're going to say a lot more than just about Christmas things. But this is actually supposed to be the point: is that our Old Testament brothers and sisters long ago. Say, God, I don't know how you're working this out. It, it doesn't make sense, but I trust that the Messiah is going to come. Mm-hmm. And that's our experience, isn't it? Because we say, God, I don't know how you're working things out. This doesn't make sense. But I know that King Jesus is going to come again and bring a perfect ending to all things. I don't think that we're actually that separate in the way that we have this, man, we hope it's now, but if it's not, our faith can take it. Right. Mm-hmm. And our faith can take it not because of what's in us, but because we know that even if it doesn't happen in the way we expect, the promises of God are rock solid. So what were they looking for uh, that they would have said, that's him? What were the markers? And they would have said, all right, uh, Josiah is the Messiah. Yeah. Everyone would have agreed. He's the he's the Messiah. Or was it so nebulous they wouldn't they, they were still not quite clear on the markers and how they would know? Yeah, I think the the answer to that is is that there's a lot of things that we we need to be like just appreciative that from their perspective a lot of things don't seem clear that by God's grace are clear to us because we're on this side of of Christ's incarnation and His resurrection, which is the thing that shows us that He is the Messiah. Um, there's some things they're looking for though. They're looking for someone who's in the first and foremost line of Judah that goes all the way back to to Genesis 49 and 50. 
Um, they're also looking for someone who is a king in the line of David. And then they're going to be looking for someone who does the kind of things that the king is supposed to do. Is he leading the people in faithfulness? Is he leading the people for the glory of God and not for self-promotion? Josiah is checking a lot of those boxes. But what happens with Josiah is, is that Josiah goes out and, and you know, this is, this is in 2 Kings and um, Josiah goes out and he, he does battle against Pharaoh. We would think he would win because he's done nothing but good things. So there's no setup that Josiah is going to lose. Josiah goes out and he's defeated at the Battle of Megiddo. Um, and, and the way that you know Josiah is not the Messiah then is because his dead body comes back to Jerusalem and it's put in a tomb and it stays there. They're looking for a Messiah who conquers, right? Uh, by the way, here's a cool thing about Josiah and Jesus as we think about these connections. The, in, in Revelation, the Battle of Armageddon, right? Which Ben Witherington, who's also a Mississippian, right? Yeah, so, amen. So I wish I could do— Solid guy. I wish I could do Ben Witherington's uh, <laughs> accent, man. But, but one of my favorite answers I've ever heard Ben Witherington give to a question is someone asked him one time about something about the Battle of Arme, uh, Armageddon. And he said something like, well, there's not really a battle at Armageddon. Jesus' enemies shows up, show up and he kills them. Right? <laughs> but here's the point. Armageddon is Har Megiddo, mm-hmm. the mountain of Megiddo, where the last guy we thought had a decent chance at being the Messiah failed in front of the enemies of God. Mm-hmm. Christ succeeds over all of them, right? So there's this beautiful connection. Even Josiah, his faithfulness is still playing a part with showing us who Jesus is. So there's yeah. something valuable there. I love the story of Josiah, and Josiah is one of those stories. For me, it's a record scratch where you're going along like, yeah, this is the man, this is the man, and then like, wait, what? Yeah. He dies? Yeah, that's not how his story is supposed to end, right? Um, all right, so now Josiah, and and let's just the Davidic throne is no longer yeah. okay. They're in Jerusalem. So how do the messianic expectations evolve? And let me let me further complicate this for you, but I know you can handle it. Um, how do the messianic expectations evolve, adapt to the point where um, we know that they adapt so much? Uh, for us, we're looking at Jesus and saying, obviously, Matthew 1, he is a son of David. Mm-hmm. So he fulfills that expectation. But for the for the Jewish people, even now, they would say, well, okay, let's say he does fulfill that expectation. Their issue, uh, and you'll speak to this, we combine that suffering servant side of the Messiah. Yep. They don't, right? And I don't want to oversimplify and overgeneralize it and, and give you certain space to uh, – to go into that, but take us from all right. The the expectations change because now there is no throne of David, literally in Jerusalem. So they have to begin thinking about the Messiah in different ways, or or maybe they don't. They just return to that in in a different way. And how is it different than the way we understand the Messiah combined with the suffering servant? There's a lot there, so yeah. you got a lot to unpack for us. All super helpful though. Maybe a place to start is is that a helpful like point that we need to make. Everything I've said about Messiah so far is uh, kingly language, yeah. right? But that's not when we talk about, as, and I'm talking about as New Testament Christians, when we talk about messianic expectations in the Old Testament, we, we probably don't mean just that. Um, you know, with my students, a lot of times I, I say it's good for us to understand there is this, you know, Hebrew word for anointed that is the word Messiah, and there's a sense in which we're talking about that. What you're helping us see, though, Blake, is that the Bible is showing us, and especially when we see who Jesus is, 
man, it's not just that Jesus fulfills the kingly expectations. He fulfills all the good expectations of the Old Testament. So to see that, I think the the main thing that we have to do, so let's talk here as, pre, as, as believers, and then specifically because of the context of this podcast, preachers and Christian leaders, we have to see Jesus through the lens of the prophets. And as we look through the lens of the prophets, what we see there is, is that when we say, how do these expectations about Jesus evolve, right? We need to be just, just very cautious with what we mean by the word evolve. Because what I think there's a temptation to do is that Israel is reacting to her historical situation and reinterpreting the Bible in order to fit what's happened. And that the New Testament authors, they reinterpret what's happened through the the story of the kings and through the message of the prophets to kind of explain Jesus's life in a way that, that fits this story. And I think what we have to do is to say, when we say evolve, what's happening is, is that we are gaining further understanding of what God is doing. Not that we're reinterpreting it, but we're actually reading God's story correctly. And so what the prophets help us see here is uh, the tree of of David will be cut down, but a green shoot will grow up from Jesse, and the the that root will grow a budding branch. So Isaiah 7 through 9 is a passage where we see this. Jeremiah 31, woe to the shepherds, or I'm sorry, 23, woe to the shepherds is a passage where we see that there's a better shepherd coming, right? Um and, and then we get all this other language. So let me bring up two things. You, you brought up suffering servant, so Isaiah 53. Let me also bring in son of man. Jesus is like favorite way to reference himself. That's Daniel 7, right? And Daniel 7 is a surprise that he's like one like a son of man at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. If you read Ezekiel, Ezekiel's constantly be, being referenced as son of man. And in Ezekiel, it's pretty clear. It just means like human one. It's like God saying like, hey, boy, that's, that's what he means, right? I grew up in Georgia, in Meriwether County. If someone says, hey, boy, they're reminding you, you're just a dude. And that's actually yeah. how God's using it. In Ezekiel, in Daniel, the Ancient of Days is supreme over all things. And then the Son of Man comes and he gives him the nations. So when Jesus comes and he says, I'm the Son of Man, he's saying, I am the one from Daniel 7 that the Father has given the nations. I And, and then, then we're like, oh, that's Psalm 2. Like the King has given the nation. The Anointed Son has given the nations, right? And then you're so man wise to say, okay, so how is it that they're not seeing this? It's, and, and I think the guy that we can look to is Peter because Peter doesn't get it at first. And if we ask, why don't Jews get who the Messiah is in the first century? And why are there Jewish people today that continue to read the Old Testament and not see these things, which as we're talking about, we're making sound so clear. At least, at least I, I hope so, right? I hope this makes sense. Why wouldn't Jewish people get that when, when Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ? The next thing that happens is he says, you're the, you're the Christ, the Son of God, right? So, so he says that. And, and then Jesus says that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, be delivered up, and suffer many things. And, and what does Peter do? He rebukes him. This is one of those things where there might be some room here for some imaginative exegesis, right? We, we have to be careful with this. Uh, again, those of us uh, that are that are you know listening to this conversation, and for you and I as part of the conversation, we're preachers. We got to be careful not to do too much imaginative exegesis. But here, let's take some liberties. What does that conversation sound like? I think it might be Peter saying, "Jesus, you have your Old Testament text mixed up. The Messiah reigns supreme over the nations. The Son of Man." reigns over all things. The suffering servant does something different. So we have to read through the lens of the prophets to see that Jesus is the the Messiah who is over all things and reigns over all things. 
but the 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 means of his glorification this is philippians 2 is obedience to the point of death on a cross and then resurrection is this this is there's a way in which we see that whole thing this is his enthronement ceremony mm. and we just have to see that man we got to read through the lens of the prophets yeah if you like what you hear you'll love defend the faith our annual apologetics conference here on the NOBTS campus each January, where you'll meet and learn from many of today's top apologists. To learn more about Defend the Faith, as well as our academic degrees in apologetics, visit us at nobts.edu forward slash apologetics. That's good. Um, so as we're, we're thinking about um, looking back on the Old Testament uh, what would be just your basic argument for the one who would say, well, I mean, how how can you as someone who's not Jewish better understand the Old Testament or they would say the Hebrew Bible than a Jewish person? And and how can you say that Jesus is that Messiah um, in light of their their current? I, I say this, man, we, we as part of worship leadership here, uh, we had to go and visit a synagogue, you know, because you're looking at these various aspects of worship. And it's one of those those times where you just go, Lord, I, I thank you that you gave me a picture because we go at Turo Synagogue here and um, their Torah reading for the day, their, their scripture reading for the day was Isaiah 53. Yeah. So I'm standing in the back of a Jewish synagogue and, you know, every time they say Yahweh, they will bow. Mm-hmm. Every time they reference uh, God, they're going to bow. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm in here in a Jewish synagogue, and I'm watching as they bow because they're so impressed with God. Out of reverence for God, they're bowing. And then the reading of Isaiah 53, and I'm, I'm just, everything within me wants to yell out, he's come. He's, he's, he's been here. Y'all are missing it. Mm-hmm. And so for me as a Christian to look at them and say you're missing it, uh, and and obviously, and we don't run from this question. For those who would say, "Well, how how dare you say say that you understand it better than them?" What would your response to that be? Yeah, um, let me let me preface this by saying, like, as we're recording this, um, you know, we're not that far out from the October seventh attacks in Israel. Mm-hmm. We're seeing anti-Semitism on the rise around the world. Um, something I think we need to be aware of is that for reasons that I'm not clear on, anti-Semitism seems to be a more acceptable form of discrimination. Yeah, it's very weird what's going on right now. It really is, man. Yeah. Um, and it's not new. Like, it's more, yeah. we're more aware of it now, but it's not new. All right, so with that in mind, and, and, and with a, a stance, I just want everyone who's listening to this to say, we need as Christians to see that because every Jewish person is an image bearer created in the image of God, any discrimination against them as a group and any violence against them as a group, we have to condemn in the strongest possible way. With that in mind, we need to start with the understanding that Jews and Christians do not worship the same God. Yeah, amen. God is either Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or he's not. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me, well, how can you as a Christian claim that you read the Bible better? I would say, well, because I, I... I actually believe that you are reading the the self-revelation of the triune God and you're missing who he is, which is a warning to us. So easy to do. So I would start there, man. How are you reading it better? Well, just because this is a community that that has ties to the the you know people who receive the text of the Old Testament, I think as we read Romans and as it as we read the New Testament and we hear the words of Jesus, we need to understand that that 
Jewish people don't have a superior claim to the Old Testament text. It's our text. I don't mean our text in any ethnocentric way. It's not nothing about my heritage makes it my text in terms of my physical or my, my genetic heritage. But in Christ, I was grafted into the promise that was given to Abraham. This is properly the text that belongs to the church. And so, Blake, I will just tell you, man, this is one of those things that I know can sound, it can sound mean, and it's not a politically correct stance. But how do we answer that? We just have to very simply reject the premise in a gracious way that somehow this is, the Old Testament is more foundationally Jewish than it is Christian. Christians understand the God who reveals himself in the Old Testament in a way that Jewish people do not. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. I'm all in with what you just said. Uh, and we're God's people. Yeah. We're God's people. By, by um, grace. And, yeah. we're, and we're proclaiming a message to to Jewish people who mm-hmm. are not believers, say, he wants you. Yeah. And we're praying that through these scriptures that they read, and let's pray, let me, let's just pray that Jewish people like memorize scripture and read it and that, and that the Holy Spirit would convict them that this is actually the God to whom these scriptures point. And as Christians, let's not mince any words. Let's let let us use the the shared scripture that our two you know faiths have. And then instead of doing this in a passive way that says, "Man, we should really just be able to get along and jihad with one another," let's say, "Hey, listen, let me let me let me just be bold and proclaim the love of Christ to you from the Old Testament." Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, part of the, there's a backdrop. To the question that I asked you, I was on a mission trip with other pastors, and uh, there was a pastor who had begun meeting with a Jewish rabbi. And in his meeting with a Jewish rabbi, he they obviously were talking about the Old Testament. And I heard this Christian pastor say that uh, he he made this comment. He said, uh, "Who am I to disagree with a Jewish rabbi about the Old Testament?" And I said, "You're a Christian." who understands the Old Testament That's in a right. way that the Jewish rabbi does not. That's right. And he looked at me because he thought that what I was saying was uh, egotistical or arrogant. Uh, he thought what I was saying was probably a little too bold. Um, but one of the things I appreciate about you and your answers is, uh, and it's what I want to do with my life, right? We pursue truth. Right. And when we found truth, which is Jesus, we proclaiming. I mean, we proclaim him uh, and we spend our life proclaiming the truth in love. Obviously, we proclaim truth in love, but we don't run from that truth. Uh, And and we explain that truth, but we explain it in love. We proclaim it in love. uh, And we want we want like Paul to see Jewish people born again. That's right. Not only Jewish people, but also Jewish people. Uh, let's pivot here and and close us out with just some practical stuff. Pastors are preparing for Christmas. What, what are some passages in the Old Testament that man you go there and you you love what they what they're pointing to in Jesus as the fulfillment of those messianic expectations? I've, I've mentioned Psalm two a couple of times already. Man, I'm fixated on Psalm two. Psalm two, uh, Psalm two, and Revelation twenty one. I think are my most cited passages when I'm preaching. So whenever really. I really. Yeah, man. Whenever I'm, I'm kind of because um, I think Psalm two is essential to how we see the Old Testament. I think Revelation twenty one is telling us about the good ending, and that's so much of our job as preachers is to say, man, we're, we we have to be reminded of the victory that Christ has won for us. So, just an application points so those two passages. I go there a lot. Psalm chapter two. Here's something I would encourage us as we're looking ahead. Um, 
to 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 Christmas, to the celebration of of the the incarnation of Christ, um, is that we look at Psalm two and we we proclaim that this has always been God's plan. Christmas was not Plan B. The incarnation of Christ was not God God's backup. That God has eternally been pleased to establish His victory over the nations by sending Christ. And Psalm two moves to a very practical point. Um, it, it's Psalm two, you know, ends. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, submit to Him with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Take refuge in the Son. So, as we're looking towards Christmas, don't get so caught up with this 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 cute child in the manger that you forget that that is your King. And the measure of your life will be whether you submit to him or whether you perish in his wrath that you justly deserve. That's a Christmas time message, right? So, so we need to, to think about that. I love Isaiah, man. So, and, and I would say almost any passage in Isaiah, you can find this. But Isaiah 7 through 9, you see this? If you, if you preach the Emmanuel prophecy going towards Christmas, let me encourage pastors to, to read the whole thing. And then to make sure that people are seeing that that there actually is a child born in Isaiah, right? Like there's this child born that's assigned to Ahaz, right? And and so to see that, but then to watch as you read the rest of that passage and you're like, okay, well, there's this child that's born. Maybe it's Maharshala Hashbaz who's born in the passage, which is a name that's fun to say when you're preaching. That's always a bonus. Um, And uh, and, and, but by the time you get to the end of the passage, you're in Isaiah 9 and you're like, wait a minute. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Incarnation gets put on the table, right? So, so all of a sudden you're saying, wait a minute, there, there was a sense in which there was this immediate fulfillment here to Ahaz, but then God is doing so much more and it's pointing us towards a child that is to come. Um, we, you know, passages like Hosea chapter 11, you know, when Egypt was, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son and then proclaiming the new Testament parallels as we see the ongoing story of Jesus in his infancy with him coming out of Egypt and just proclaiming to people, listen, in, in Hosea, when Hosea said that he was really talking about the Exodus, but, but what Matthew is showing us is, is what Hosea means is you want to know that God loves you. Look at the Exodus and what God's showing you now is you want to know God loves you. Look at this boy and you look at what God's doing with his life. Um, so, and, and then Isaiah 53 is a passage that I think is, is so fun to preach at this time because we're saying, what, what do they expect in the Old Testament? They expected that through their life, God was going to bring about redemption and that somehow their suffering mattered. And to, to point that in, God points them towards this suffering servant. There's going to be a sufferer who makes sense out of all suffering, and God's going to use him to redeem the nations. Um, so all of these things, man, and there's, there's lots, lots more. But these are some that I particularly enjoy. Amen. Amen. So uh, for our th- funny story, for our third child, well, actually for all of them, we were talking about what to name our kid. We wanted to name, give them a good, solid biblical name. And uh, I propositioned Brooke with Mahershal al-Hashbaz. I have thrown she, out. She I've, rejected. I have thrown out Mahershal al-Hashbaz <laughs> every time. Now, we, we, we have girls, right? So we have yeah, three girls. Yeah, but every, every time we've been in that, like, perspective, what if it's a boy? <laughs> I say Mahershal al-Hashbaz. And, you know, Kayla, Kayla. Kayla doesn't take me seriously about most things, man. So, yeah, so that was, Brooke. yeah. So, so that was, I don't think she ever saw that as a serious thing. We, we, we ended up with Nehemiah for, though. We ended up with Nehemiah, hey, strong man, leader, man. That's, that's right, man. Who, like, he's going to lay his hands on you. That's right. That's right. So, um, that's cool, man. Corey, I appreciate you, brother. brother I appreciate so you much, coming man. in. I, thanks I for your passion for the word, for the old Testament, obviously for Jesus. Uh, we always appreciate that as well. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, and your passion for our preachers, uh, for those uh, who are um, who are out there and and certainly looking for an Old Testament guy who loves pastors and preachers. Yeah, you're one of those guys. I'll point them to, and I'm grateful for that, man. Well, brother, I appreciate that, man. Something I love about what we get to do here is if if some of my students end up teaching the Old Testament in academic settings, that's that's cool. That's not why I'm here. I'm I'm here to pour into pastors so that the God's God's gracious revelation of Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can be proclaimed through all the Scriptures. And pastors, you guys are are the tip of the spear doing that. So thank you guys. Amen. Thanks, yeah. brother. Appreciate it. Tell you what, close us out with with prayer. Pray for our pastors this Christmas. Yeah, man. Pray so, that they would uh, faithfully proclaim God's word and God would use them. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so let's let's pray. So, Father, I, I thank you for uh, the 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 folks listening to this podcast. I thank you especially for the brothers who are pastoring. And Father, I pray that as we approach a time where there are going to be many people uh, who are hearing their preaching, because this is a time where it is it's culturally uh, appropriate to do so that they proclaim Christ through the Old Testament. Father, I thank you that you sent the Son. And I pray that as these brothers proclaim that message, that your Holy Spirit would move and would call many to faith. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to To Win the Many, a podcast of the Caskey Center at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. The Caskey Center for Church Excellence provides ministerial resources, including undergraduate and graduate scholarships for ministers serving Southern Baptist churches in Alabama, Indiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, and Wyoming. For access to additional resources or more information about our scholarship opportunities, visit our website at caskeycenter.com or nobts.edu.